Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. The uh, scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that it blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Good morning. All right, open up your Bibles, if you could, to Joshua. It's in the beginning, after the big book of five. Then there should be Joshua shortly after that. All right, so there's something important we need to, to realize about um, when we gather together on Sundays. The reality is, is what I say to you right now is not really going to be that impacting. I know that's a great way to start it off, isn't it? But what I'm noticing, especially in the summer, is that a lot of people from branches are traveling. Um, people from out of town are coming into town. And what happens is, is we think that the most impacting part, in fact, they do these studies where they find out, what do people like most about church? Which, by the way, does that really matter what we like? <laughs> like, why do we do this? Which is a whole other thing we'll get to later. But when we get together, they'll list the thing that they want the most is a great, solid, biblical message that will impact their life. That's what they care about most. What does that have to do for me? Then second is like music, then like down the line or like donuts, coffee, um, which surprising to me, kids ministry, family stuff is not that high on there, which it should be. But the most impacting thing that's going to happen is nothing that comes out of my mouth, but how you guys interact with each other. You know what I mean? What I mean by that is that some of you have been coming for a few weeks and you're like, still don't know anybody. And then some of you that have been coming for a long time go, oh, that person. So you sit on the opposite side <laughs> and then they move around and then you, how we care for each other is the most impacting thing that could happen. That's when God really starts to move amongst us towards each other, especially when we ask for forgiveness. Um, and, this, and by the way, the pressure isn't just on those who are here to take care of the visitors, although that's a priority for us. We call ourselves a, a family that's expecting guests, so you take care of your guests, right? Um, for example, you don't want, I use this analogy all the time because it was traumatic for me. You don't want to have a lack of toilet paper in the bathroom when you have guests, right? That's, that's not cool. What's more impacting here is that we want to care for people that are visiting. But also, if you're visiting, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone because we're normal human beings. We are not like, hey, you know, even the extroverts are shy to people they don't know. So there are very few people that will just walk up to random people and just start talking to them. Yep, we know Todd Metzger will do that. He'll just walk up to anyone, anytime, anyplace, 
Dave Jansen's known for that, but the rest of you, it ain't gonna happen. So we have to make ourselves uncomfortable so that other people can be cared for. And if you're a visitor, you, if you act really outgoing, they're gonna go, oh, I guess they've been here a long time because they feel really comfortable in their own skin. So it's a great way to start out. All right, so let me pray for us and then we'll jump into this. Father, I ask that uh, your word would be all that we hear and that you would move amongst us and show us how to care for each other through smiles, through tears, through just acknowledging each other. Um, you need to bind us together. You need to teach us how to forgive each other and how to receive forgiveness. Give us the courage, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My guess is that none of you woke up this morning and said to yourself, all right, today, how can I experience the most suffering possible? Nobody wakes up with that, right? Like, it's not even a thought. It's not even a possibility. That's not what we do. We wake up thinking the opposite. How can I make myself the happiest? The problem is we stink at it. We don't know. We don't even know how to define happiness. Forget about actually grasping it and holding on to it. And the passage we're going to look at today deals with happiness, prosperity, success. It deals with a man who had a, a task in front of him that was the kind of task you just don't want to deal with, where it makes your stomach churn like the mother of all book reports, like whenever you get that text from me, say, hey, would you share this up front? Oh, gosh, that kind of task, except his involved life or death. It's one of the verses that we want you to memorize. But before we get into it, when I look at taking the temperature of the room, not this room, but the temperature of that scripture, what we see happening is that there is a man, there are people that are faced with something that is just overwhelming. And they want to get through that so that they can enjoy happiness. But the problem is, is we don't have a clue how to pull this off. Yet we keep trying the same thing over and over again. Here's an example of a recent way that I thought, I think this will make me happy. Um, I was at my house, and we had something in the freezer. We had a lot of it in the freezer, because we had the youth group over recently, and we, um, my wife asked me, so how many? And I gave her a number. I said, about this, and I shot high, which, and I know her well enough that I should have shot low. So I gave her the number, and then I went a little bit above it, and then she doubled that. So our freezer has been filled with Klondike bars for, like, ever. <laughs> and not just, like, the normal, I don't even like Klondike bars, but... Um, she got the Heath kind, the Reese's Pieces kind, the crunchy kind, the chocolate. I mean, it was just filled there. So, right, it's going to make me happy. So we all know how this works. We know how this will pan out. I eat dinner, um, or actually it's mid-snack. Mid I eat a lot. And then I, um, I know it doesn't show, but I do. And then I took uh, uh, one of the bars and I ate it. <laughs> it. It was glorious. And I was happy. And then the happiness started to fade. So I thought, well, I better do it again. <laughs> so I got another one. Not quite as good. So maybe something was wrong with that one. I mean, you, we've all done this, right? We know better. So I went to number three. <laughs> Disgusting. Why do we do that? Why don't we learn our lesson? We try this in all different ways to try to be happy, and yet we have no clue what we're doing. We're on this journey to try to grab this thing that we can't define, that we don't understand, we fail, and that we try the same ways again. This is what Pascal said about happiness. He said, even the one who hangs himself is looking for the cessation of suffering. 
Think about that. The one that commits suicide to some degree is seeking happiness because they think if they could just make that pain disappear, it doesn't work. So we're going we're gonna to check our brain diagnostics here. We're going to see how good you are at figuring out how to find happiness, okay? So I'm going to give you a little pop quiz here. Um, you get two options. You could either, you have to choose one or the other to uh, gain happiness. One of these two choices. You could either win the lottery, like the guy on the left, or you could become a paraplegic. Those are your two options, okay? Don't give me other options. One of those two. Which one would you choose to gain happiness, okay? Got it? All right, most of you... Um, think you got it right. Um, and you did, right? You passed. Right? Wrong. The reality is um, that this is actually what the study showed. This is a study from 1978. There was a, a trio of researchers from University of Massachusetts, uh, Northwestern University, and they did a study with those who had won the lottery and those who had become paraplegics and tracked them for a year to measure their happiness. And actually, from their study, within that year, those who were paraplegics were happier than those that had won the lottery. Just barely, but still about even. You know what that shows us? We have no clue how to figure out how to gain happiness. You all hear about, oh, the Powerball is going. Do we have a Powerball? Is that what it's called here? Nobody knows. It is called Powerball here. And it was Powerball somewhere. I know we have a lottery. I don't know where the money goes, but I know we have a lottery. And you think, oh, if I won that, oh, that'd be good. If I got that raise, as if money would fix those things. We think that's one of the ways that we can gain happiness. Yet I have some very wealthy friends that are very miserable. And I have some extremely poor friends that have this joy. Um, there's another way that people will seek happiness um, through substances, right? I remember the first time that I had a surgery um, and they gave me uh, Percocet. Oh, that was amazing. Like, I remember taking it going, wow, look how beautiful my living room is. Look at the trees. My children are so lovely. The... The house, look how good looking I am. Everything seemed fantastic. And that's how I knew that people could get addicted to that. But it's the same as Klondike bars. It just starts, it spirals wrong because that's not the way it's supposed to work. You want to know what happiness looks like? This is visually what happiness looks like right here. What you see here is a protein carrying a vesicle of endorphins. Across a tubule to the, the parietal cortex, right here in the front. This is where you experience happiness. In fact, you experience most of your happiness right here on the left side. So that is what happiness looks like. Now, you see that, and that, um, so some people are arguing like, I don't think that's a, that's a different vesicle that that's pulling. So I went to Harvard Medical School, looked up their stuff. They have a video that looks just like it, just not nearly as cool. Um, but that's the way it works within the body in terms of endorphins um, or dopamine coming to the brain. That's what happens. That's what happens when you take Percocet. Shoots out things and brings endorphins across, but it, it eventually runs out. That will not last. That's not 
That's a feeling. But that's not happiness. This is what Proverbs says. Proverbs, as we've talked about before, is um, men and women looking at life and sharing, this is what I've learned over time. This is what God has shown me as I've lived. And this is what um, one man said. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way that leads to death. So we think we know what we're doing, but we have no clue. So what we're going to look at now um, is a man named Joshua. This is the verse we're going to get to in a second. But I want to take the temperature of what's happening here in his life with Israel. Because Moses has passed away. Moses, you know Moses, right? Like he's, he's kind of a big deal. And Joshua's underneath him. But now Moses has passed and now Joshua is supposed to take over for Moses. Talk about being overwhelmed. Talk about someone looking at a task that is beyond them. Looking at a circumstance. Looking at a situation that cannot be handled. He's dealing with it. And it is now his turn to try to bring the people of Israel into the land that was promised to them by God. And yet, the people have been too afraid to do this for years. For years, they have put this off because they knew that if they came into the land, there would be resistance. And God is saying, I promise this to you. You will be successful. You will be prosperous. But they're like, ugh. But it's going to be uncomfortable. So you know what? Let's just not do that. Let's wander around in the desert for 40 years. No, this land is yours. Look at it. A land of milk and honey. Some of you are like, I don't like milk. I'm lactose intolerant. Some of you are like, oh, I hate honey. That's not the point. It's a metaphor to say it's beautiful and everything you could want is in this land and I have built it for you. Come and take it. Yeah, but the people that are there are going to try to fight us. I am with you. Yeah, we don't really, now we're just going to stay here. And so now Joshua is told, no, you're the one. Moses told him. Then God told him, you're the one that's going to go in and lead my people in. So what do you think he's feeling? What do you think he's feeling with a circumstance like this? The same way you would feel with a circumstance or a situation that is beyond you, that is so overwhelming that you have a hard time breathing, that you can't eat, that you have diarrhea all the time. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. That's what he's struggling with right now. He knows that he's in a situation that is beyond what he's capable of dealing with. And so this is what God has to tell him. Be strong and courageous. And he just doesn't have to say it once. He has to keep saying it over. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may, may be successful wherever you go. And then two verses later, he says it again. He says this. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This, he's God, so I want to cut him some slack here. But really, be strong and courageous, as if saying it is just going to make him strong and courageous. That's why I had to say it three times because he knew that he needed to hear it over and over again and to remember it. Be strong and courageous for I, the Lord your God, will be with you wherever you go. But sometimes you're in that situation where it doesn't matter what people tell you, it's not going to help. 
Perfect example. I've seen this plenty of times as a person that worked with youth, as a person that likes to rock climb or used to like to rock climb. Um, we would go to lakes, rivers. We would jump off rocks. We would jump off cliffs. We'd find places uh, on the coast or in other countries where there was a coast, and we would jump off. And I've never really had a fear of heights. I have a fear of um, hitting something down below, but not of the actual height. So as long as it's fun, I'm good. But I have a lot of friends and family members that get stuck. You know what I'm talking about? And I've tried every method possible. One of them is, um, come on, you got this, which is another way to say be strong and courageous. You just keep repeating that over and over again as if it's going to help, right? Or then you'll see someone um, at the top and they're just getting ready to go and you go, okay, we're going to do the countdown now. Yeah, we know the countdown doesn't work because this is how it goes. Five, four, three. Everyone on the beach starts yelling it, right? And that person's up there, right? Be strong and courageous. Five, four, three, two, one, go! And they're like this, and then they come back, right? So what do you do? Let's try that again. And then we start counting down again. Three, two, one, and they're still stuck. You can keep yelling to someone, be strong and courageous, but that's not going to help sometimes. Maybe it's going to help at a certain time, but at that point, it's not going to help. I remember when I've gone through intense times of depression. I remember one particular time, and I remember friends coming up to me and go, man, you got to get over this. And with my eyes closed, I imagined throat punching them. Boom! Like, what do you, you don't know what I'm going through. How dare you say, be strong and courageous, just get over it. Because we know what that's like, right? Like when you're overwhelmed with a situation, whether it be physical or emotional or a task that you feel unqualified for, it's nice to have people say be strong and courageous, but that's not going to fix it sometimes. I need to be told what to do. Give me some steps. Tell me what to do, and please make it easy because I don't want to move right now. I'm stuck. That's got to be what's happening with Joshua right here. Why else would God tell him be strong and courageous. And it means a lot more coming from our God than it does from one of us. We still need to tell each other, be strong and courageous. But we also need to take the temperature of the room and give each other basic steps. And we need to ask. And Joshua is submissive underneath his God. And he wants some direction. And so, because of that, God gives him direction. He gives him an intentional activity. I'm pretty excited about all my graphs and my pictures, so I'm going to give you one more. And I think this one's helpful, really helpful for me. These are factors that influence chronic levels of happiness. Half of it is just how you're born. So I don't know what kind of guy Joshua was. I don't know if he was Captain Positive. I don't know if he was the LeVar Ball of genetic makeup, where we got this, even though things aren't looking good, whatever it is. Half of it is based on your genetics, meaning your DNA. You know those people walk around, they're just smiling all the time. They don't even know their smile. It's just kind of stuck on them because they're so used to smiling all the time. And then you have those other people that are like this, and their face is kind of always face down. A lot of that's just genetic. You can't control that. It's out of your control. So because of that, let's look on the other side, the blue and the red. That's the other half. 40% of it, that influences happiness is intentional activity. Telling someone something to do. Do this. And then the other 10% that influences 
your circumstances is your happiness is circumstances, events. So, for example, when we go back to the level of, you know, whether you win the lottery or a paraplegic, that's not going to change your happiness one way or another, really. That only has a 10% influence. But yet, 40% of it, or if you, if you take out your genetics, which you can't control, if you bring it over here, basically 80% of it is your steps. And so that's what I would be if, if I was Joshua. I'd be like, tell me what to do. So in the middle, almost like a Klondike bar, you got it coated with the chocolate, right, and all the other goodies. But the stuff in the middle, that's the stuff I want to get to, right? That's the, that's the meat of the sandwich. Tell me what to do. So in verse 8, the verse we're going to memorize, the verse that we're looking at today, God tells Joshua what to do. Now, I memorize this differently. You should have a card or the card's going to get passed out. Um, look at Brad jumping on. So this is the card. Now, I memorize this differently. And once you memorize it one way, it's pretty tricky to go the other direction. So this is the way I memorize this passage. Um, do not let the book, do not let this book of the law depart from your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do everything written in it so that you may be successful and prosperous. Which is another way to say that elusive thing that you wake up in the morning really wanting, you will receive it. We know it's not money, we know it's not health, we know it's not circumstances, but that true happiness, that true joy that's going to last, how is that going to happen? By keeping this book of the law always on your lips. So, starting with that, keeping this book of the law on your lips. This is something that in memorizing scripture, stuff will pop out to you that you never noticed before. And I had memorized this passage a long time ago the way that I shared it with you, but I missed this. It says, and because I was memorizing it over and over again recently, I went, wait a minute, I missed that. It says to keep this book of the law always on your lips, which is another way to so let it come out of your lips, let it be there, be speaking it. It doesn't say just to think about it and just read it or just hear it, but to actually let it come out. Think about that. We are called if we want to be successful and prosperous, to actually be speaking the word of God to ourselves and to others. We're so immersed in it that we can't help ourselves. Have you ever had good friends that have gone to a foreign country and they come back speaking an accent and you're like, seriously? You're American. Dave Jansen just told me this recently. I get to roll him under the bus. He was up here doing the announcements. They, they went to the south just recently. And his wife looked at him like, seriously? Now you have a southern accent? We've been here for two weeks. You're from San Clemente. You don't need to talk like this. But that's when you're around it so much, you start to carry it on. You start to learn their terms. I had a friend come back from England. She's like, hey, cheerio. I'm like, oh, no, 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 you don't. You are from Dana Point. Ye shall speak the king's English of America. But if you are always in God's word, it'll start coming out of your lips. You'll start talking to someone, you, you know, like, boom. They're like, whoa, whoa, are you quoting the Bible? Not that they would recognize it because they haven't been meditating in it. They haven't been saturated in it. But Joshua is told, hey, with this task that's in front of you, do not let it leave your lips. doesn't say talk about it all the time. It says do not let it leave your lips. Let it stay on there. Keep this book of the law always on your lips and meditate it on it day and night. Meditate, in Hebrew, that word means uh, to mutter. 
It, so when you're saying it to yourself, like when I'm driving, I'm going, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Because you don't want to be, do not let this book of the law. Because even the Hebrews back in the day were embarrassed to like speak out loud, right? Like, oh, I don't want to be freaking people out. So they kind of mutter it. But they still want to keep going through God's word and memorizing it and putting it in so that it will come out of their lips. And this is the part that really stuck out to me the part that I think is probably most important for us as a community of faith. And I don't mean just the church, the big C. I mean branches specifically. It does stand for all of our church here in the United States and even in the West in general, but especially for us. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And when I was memorizing that, I went, okay, so it's not just that I read it, not just that I hear it. Sundays aren't going to cut it. I need to throughout the week, throughout the day, to remind myself of God's word, to have it on the walls in my house, to have it on my screensavers, to have the Bible on my phone, to have one down by my chair, to, to pray together. Not only that, but I need to listen to others speak the word of God. And I need to be so saturated with it, but I also need to be careful. I need to analyze it. I need to listen to it so that I can live it out. It's not just good enough for Joshua that he hears it, that they talk about it, that they sing and dance about it, but that they actually wrestle with trying to live this out. And we as a people do not take this seriously enough. And it's part of the reason why we are not successful and prosperous. And I've said it earlier, and I really hope you hear me saying this. Success and prosperousness is not about money. It's not about your health. It's not about how many kids you have. It's this peace that transcends all understanding. It's this understanding that goes beyond endorphins or dopamine. It's the true knowledge of who you are and who God is and who other people are. And to get this, we have to actually do what God is calling us to. And we don't. Think about July 4th, right? In God's word, it does not say... Some people will say this. We, we throw a lot of quotes around that have nothing to do with what God's word says. And one of them is you cannot have alcohol. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible, that you can't have alcohol. However, it's very clear that says do not be drunk in Proverbs, in Ephesians, throughout saying the fruit of what comes from that is destruction. And yet, on July 4th, how many Christians do you think were drunk? buzzed. How many in this room were buzzed or drunk? Be careful to do everything written in it. How many people from this church have gossiped about someone else? You know, it's usually how it starts. What is, I can't think of the other ways it starts. Um, but we're all guilty. We need to be careful. Wait, did I do that? Did I? And that doesn't mean, oh, I did that once. Better stop. No, we need to go to that person. What? And put it out in the open? Yes, because the Bible also says that. To go to the brother and sister that you've harmed and go and tell them, I'm sorry, I did that. Have you ever had someone come to you and tell you that? I had someone come and do that to me one time. You know, I'm so sorry. I was so bummed at you. And I said this thing to this person and this person. Will you forgive me? You would expect that I would be angry. I felt dirty. I'm like, how cool is Andy right now? This guy is like, and yet he had done something wrong, but to have the courage to carefully do everything written in God's word, that was his passion. 
In fact, in our relationship for those years, it was like, Andy, you got to stop doing this. You're making me feel like a jerk. You know what? When you dropped in on me on that wave, I got a little upset. Will you please forgive me? Shouldn't I be saying sorry for what I just did? But yet, that's what God's word tells us to do. Jealousy. God's word is so clear. Do not be jealous. Do not be envious. Here's a common term that we hear not only at branches, but everywhere. Must be nice, right? Because you want it, you don't have it. Well, must be nice if they get to do that. Oh, nice vacation up in the Azores. Oh, must be cool that you get to go on the beach while I'm working. Oh, whatever your job, you only have to work two, three days a week. Must be nice. And that person's working two, three days a week sometimes has this crisis mode. Well, must be nice that all you have to do is this and that. You don't have to deal with someone dying in front of your face all the time. Must be nice. Or you see someone with a new shirt. Oh, you like my blouse? Oh, must be nice. Wish I could afford that. We need to be careful to do everything written in this because otherwise it leads to destruction, to death. Not keeping the marriage bed pure. Come on. It will not bring you the prosperousness. It will not bring you the joy that you want. It's like a Klondike bar. You're going to be like, oh, gosh, oh, but it feels so good, but ah, crud. That's the way this goes. When are we going to learn our lessons? Looking at God's word alone, uh, Mark 10, 45. Remember that verse? Of course you do, because you memorize it, right? Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Most of the marriages stink because we're frustrated that our spouse is not serving us. You will continually be unhappy, unsuccessful, and unprosperous for the rest of your marriage if that's your goal. But if you will not let that word depart from your lips, if you will meditate on it day and night, if you'll be careful to do it, you will find joy. You will freak your spouse out. Why are you being so nice? What's up? Just tell them. Well, because I don't usually do it. I'm reading God's word. I need to start doing this. I'm not really doing it for you. I'm just selfish. I want to be successful and prosperous, so I feel like if I serve you, that's going to happen. Go ahead, throw that out. They'll still like it that you're serving them. The point is, is that God's word is here. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, look, the new has come. And yet, we look at ourselves like we used to be. We look back at ourselves and we think of ourselves in a way that is not accurate. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation and you need to ditch your old view of yourself and keep moving towards the new. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, the greatest commandment, right? Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is supposed to be what we wake up attempting to do every day. And as we make that the focus, the compass of our life, It'll just happen. Success and prosperity will come. Joy will come. That's real prosperity, is that joy of knowing you're right where you're supposed to be. Not out of fear, but out of choice. That you have said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I have so many verses here I want to keep going through, but I'll wear you out. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. If you haven't figured it out by now, we really stink. We're really bad at predicting 
and planning how to be happy, successful, and prosperous. Joshua is faced with this situation. And he has to rely on God's word to know that God will carry him through. When he's talking about the book of the law, and he's talking about God's word, he's talking about more than just pages. God is speaking to him. And he says to him, I will be with you. Just about every single Sunday I stand up here, I look at my notes and I'm like, who am I to be doing this? But I have to remember, look, the only thing that anyone's going to get from this, God, is if you show up and you speak to us. It's the same with Joshua. How am I going to lead the people into this? This is an entire, this isn't just one country. These are many people that do not like us. And you're promising, the circumstances are going to be difficult. Years ago, um, I got to the point where I said, you know, I really want to get into God's word. I didn't own a Bible. My family didn't own a Bible. My grandmother did. But she had one of those really fat Bibles, you know, that as a, as a younger person, it was gold on the, on the pages on the outside. So I thought it must be really fancy. You knew it was a special book, different than another one, because they called it the Bible, and I had the big pictures. So I knew I couldn't really touch that one, right? Like, you can't touch it. It's just there. It's the family Bible. I don't know where that Bible went, but there it was. And so I didn't have one. So I did what any of us would do. I stole one. I can't remember if I stole it from the youth group or if we went to one of those hotels and they had the Gideon Bible. And I just assumed the Gideon Bible was like um, the telephone that was there or the remote, like it belonged to the hotel. But I needed a Bible, so I stole it. I didn't know, so I took it. Hopefully someone forgave me for it. Actually, in case you wonder, the Gideon does not belong to the hotel. It belongs to whoever wants to take it. I didn't know that. I thought I was stealing it. But since that time when I stole it, started reading it, getting bored, stopped reading it, then started reading again, bored again, asked some people about it. They kind of coached me through it, then read some stuff. They told me where to read. I'm like, oh, that's not so boring. Then I started hearing God's voice through his word. My whole life turned around. My life has been extremely successful and prosperous. I was able to go to university I could not afford. I was able to um, find a woman way, way out of my league. Because of being careful to do everything written in his word, we've had a great marriage for 22 years. Not perfect, but great. We have three kids. Not perfect, but great. We have not had the most ideal situations in our life. Many of you have walked with us through that. Our circumstances have not been awesome all the time. That's not the definition of success and prosperous. God will show up. But we have to trust him and do what he says to be careful to do everything written in his word. This is what it says about the word of God. When you read in the Bible, this is what God says about his word. He says that his word is sweet like honey. He says that God's word is also precious like gold. He says that it's, it's like a lamp upon our feet to guide us. It's a fire that refines us or purifies us. God's word is also a hammer that breaks us. God's word is food for the soul, a sword, a seed for salvation. It's like milk and like rain that nourishes. God loves us. God loved Joshua. He gave him this direction because he loved him. 
He wanted to give them the land. Their circumstances were not ideal. They had a lot of difficulties. A lot of people died. But God was with them. And he told them to trust. When are we going to get to that point where we can see it? When are we going to learn? This passage right here that we read for the reading, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, which is another way to say, be smart. Don't hang out with those that aren't trusting in God's word. If you sit around them much, you're going to start talking like them. You need to make sure that you do what? Your delight is in the law of the Lord. And you need to meditate it on his law day and night. And that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. It's summer. I hope you guys have made it to the mountains or you're going to continue to or you've gone by streams or lakes. And the smartest trees are the ones that are planted right there by the shore because they get all the water they need. And they blow up. And stuff is falling off that tree and fruit's falling off that tree everywhere. Some of you thought, this is the summer, I'm going to plant a garden. If you don't have a consistent form of water flowing through there, it ain't going to happen. Come on, come check my tomatoes. I'll show you how it's done. God is saying, blessed is the one, smart is the one, joyful is the one, successful is the one, prosperous is the one. That's what blessed means, is the one who plants themselves by the streams of water, which is God's law. And then they will yield its fruit in season, and their leaf will not wither, get all crunchy and dry. How many of you in your life feel all crunchy and dry? When you are planted in his word, you will not feel crunchy and dry. You may have horrible circumstances. Using the analogy of the tree, it may be 130 degrees around you. It may be scorching, but your leaves will not wither if you're planted there. But the reality is, there will be situations where you're muttering God's word, you're meditating on it, and nothing will replace his presence. You think of yourself stuck up on that rock. You think of yourself knowing what's in front of you and going, I can't do this, I can't do this. And God's telling you, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Your friends are telling you the same thing. And you're going, I'm meditating on his law day and night. I'm, I'm, I'm careful to do everything in it, yet I still feel overwhelmed. Then go to verse 9. Be strong and courageous, for I, the Lord your God, will be with you wherever you go. My daughter, last summer, we were up at Mammoth. She was eight years old. And I'll close with this. We did that whole thing. Five, four, three, you got this. I love you. You're the best. You'll be fine. And then, of course, her brothers, come on, Curtis, you're done. Come on. You know, that, that didn't help either. All that stuff to try to get her to get this joy of jumping. Because we all know, once you do it, you're like, that was pretty awesome. Want to do it again? Nah, I don't know about that. But the point is, you do it, and there's like, I did it. I can do this. But she had reached a point where she couldn't do it. And her older brother came up, grabbed her hands, and they jumped together. And as a dad watching that, I was like, that's the way it is. God will be with you wherever you go. He's giving you his word. You get to hold it. You, most of you get to carry it around with you all the time because you never leave your phone anywhere. So really, you get to have the word of God with you at all times. 
But we have to meditate on it day and night. We have to let it come out of our lips and be careful to do everything in it. Then he will produce the fruit of successfulness, of prosperousness, of real happiness. So I want to pray for us. I want to invite up the worship team. They're going to lead us in um, uh, music that are prayers. So if you could stand with me. If you want to stay seated, you're welcome to whatever's best for you to worship and to lay yourself before his feet. So in these songs, um, let's see how we can surrender to him. Father God, I thank you for your word. It has, it has given me the life that I have now. Not only the life I have now, but the life that I hope to walk with you on someday. Lord, we confess to you that we are easily distracted, easily led astray. And we look at the Klondike bars of this world thinking they're going to fix things. Or, Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your gentleness and your kindness. Lead us, Lord. Show us how to encourage each other. Show us how to be the church that you've called us to be, to care for each other, to spur one another on to draw near to you and to love our neighbors. We surrender to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As Boog got up this morning, I was thinking of a couple weeks ago when Michael Bischoff was here and he was sharing and after our greeting, our time of greeting everybody, he says, this church does it right. And really, we are a church that wants to care for one another. And Boog, Steph, I just want you to know we want to care for you. So everybody's invited over to clean out the freezer. We make sure we take care of those Klondike bars. <laughs> I hope that's okay. Um, seriously, though, I wanted to share with you just real quickly out of the, um, the church Bible here, there's a little insert between the scriptures of, that Boog read this morning. The secret of success. Three times in this short speech, God urged Joshua to be strong and courageous. Joshua must have quaked at the prospect of taking over for a great man like Moses, but God promised him the resources he would need. God promised him the resources he would need. God's own presence and the book of the law, which Joshua was to obey every day. This was Old Testament writing. We have the New Testament. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be within us, that we can claim him and his word, that we should meditate on it day and night. Chew on it, put it on your lips. Let it kind of savor a great flavor. That's my encouragement for all of us, that we would take this scripture to heart and that we would remember to meditate on God's word day and night. Let me pray us out and um, encourage us to go pick up our kids and help clean up if you can. Father, we pause just to thank you so much for today's scripture, today's lesson, and that, Lord, that you would put it on our hearts to uh, cause us to want to spend time in your word on a daily basis and then to process what we read what we studied, and what it is that you would have for us, knowing, Lord, that you would give us the strength to, uh, to complete the task that you put before us. Let us show love and joy to one another this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.